0: Welcome to On the Continent,
1: your one-stop shop for all things European football. I'm Dotan Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel.
2: I'm Nicky Bandini.
1: And on today's show, we look at the problems in Paris after Manchester United brought their reign to the capital and took three points from them. At the skies are grey in Madrid as well, ahead of El Clasico. While over in Italy, that man Zlatan seems to be able to bend the elements to his will at the grand old age of 39. Bienvenue à la, on the continent Andy Brassel, Niki Bandini. You know why I'm talking... Parisian, don't you?
3: I I, I do, but I think there are a lot of uh, Parisians, or certainly those who are required to bring football to the capital, hiding under a rock after the events of the last couple of days.
1: I said not after my cod French then. (laughs) No,
3: no, I I, I don't think so. Don't blame yourself. Don't blame yourself, Don. There are a lot of other parties that are are, are to blame, but of course we've we've heard a lot on these shores about um, what a great job Manchester United did out in Paris, and they absolutely did i thought it was a really good performance from them and i think it wasn't a bad performance from psg either was it that's not what they're saying in france <laughs> and um on the on the on the cover of l'equipe uh, the following day it said uh unrecognizable with a picture of Kylian mbappe there on the floor and the thing is this this was, even though it's the first game of the group stage of the Champions League, and really, in overall terms, it shouldn't matter that much because, of course, Manchester United and Paris Saint-Germain should be the two teams that are going to qualify for this group. And I say that with every respect to, to Leipzig, who I'm sure will make a battle for it as well. Um, but Paris particularly will expect to go through this group. And they also wanted to put down a marker as all big teams do when facing other big teams at this stage but there was more meaning to this for them because if you go back a year and a half ago when they were knocked out of the Champions League in the last 16 by I would say a not as good Manchester United side um, that the, the, than we have at the moment um, who are in the first flush of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer fun and they went and won with that late Rashford penalty um, at, at the Parc-de-Prince. And that was just such a humiliating experience for, for, for Paris Saint-Germain because they'd um, been in one at Old Trafford with a degree of comfort in the first leg. And they turned up... At, so many times they've been accused of, you know, bottling it in inverted commas in, in, in the Champions League. That was different because it felt as if they turned up expecting to win. And accordingly, they were bitten on the backside. And, you know, the, the, the fallout from that was significant, not just because it was another Champions League failure for them, not just because it spoke of a degree of arrogance that they had no right to when they'd not really made any decent dent in the competition before, because, of course, this was pre them getting to the final. Um, but the, Thomas Tuchel, the coach, came out afterwards and said, well it's happened to you before. It hasn't happened to me before. (laughs) It must be you guys, which had like quite an effect on his relationship with the players, as you might imagine. But then you go on 18 months and having got to the final, having got past all that, having put all of that in the background to have Tuchel again in his seat, in the post-match press conference going, well, there's no intensity. There was no pressing. Honestly, I find it strange. I don't know what happened. And he said beforehand how there was like such quiet in the dressing room. He said, normally there's laughter, there's loads of different languages being spoken, there's music. There was none of that. I think the immediate conclusion from that, have Manchester United really got into their heads?
2: Yeah, I, I feel like there's so many layers at the moment. And I think that we've seen so many weird results all across Europe in the last few weeks. And I think clearly the lack of fans in a stadium, when you talk about people maybe just not being up for it's what that last yeah. thought sounds like. That's a factor. If you haven't, you know, if this game is played sure. in front of a full house in Paris, it's a pretty raucous atmosphere in Paris. Mm. So, you know, you would have a different atmosphere already. I think it's also not, um I'm sure... Some people will completely disagree with me on this, but I think you have to remember sometimes that football is a people. And PSG did go to the final, and there's going to be some fatigue right now. There's going to be some, more than other clubs, a greater degree of, I suppose, less in, in some sense, because they didn't have League One going as long as some other leagues did. But there's mm. some sense of just this cycle that hasn't stopped. Like we just did the Champions League final, and now we're straight away back on the horse again. And we're supposed to be just as excited as we were when we played in a final. What? Last week, basically. You know, Um, I think that's
3: a really good point because it's been such a weird preparation for the start of this season for Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon because they were finishing up last season with the two cup finals, the Coupe de la Ligue, the final ever Coupe de la Ligue final, and the Coupe de France final at the end of July, start of August. Then they go straight into the Champions League. Now, I think from a, a French football perspective. The difficulty for for Lyon is the more evident one because basically Rudy Garcia, who I know you know very well from Italy, Nicky, prepared them for a Champions League in which against Juventus and then following on from that against um, Manchester City in the quarterfinal, he prepared them to play without the ball. Now, Lyon are mainly a possession-based side, right? You know, that is the way they learn it from the academy upwards. But Rudy Garcia has gone. Okay, we're playing these teams that are absolute giants of Europe. So he got a lot of stick in the friendlies that they played before the start of the season because he said, "Well, okay, we'll play with the ball in the first half. We're going to play without the ball in the second half. We're going to let the opposition have it because we need to work out how we're going to win a game with 35 percent possession." Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you go from that. It's, so it's not just it's not just the high of doing well in Champions League in, in Leon's case, getting to the semi final and then going back into Ligue 1 a couple of weeks later, or in in their case, nine days later. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, you're expected to dominate with the ball when you've trained pre-season to be without the ball. Now, I realise that's slightly different for Paris Saint-Germain because expectations are different, but you are preparing for totally different games in totally different contexts.
2: Yeah, look, tactic, just to get into it for a second, I think tactically, Tuchel made some some choices that didn't play out in this game. I Mm. think when you go to a front three like he did you lose some of that interchange. You don't lose the interchange because it's still there, but you lose the effectiveness of that interchange between Neymar and Mbappe on the left because those two dovetail so effectively. But what you sort of need with that is a centre forward who's going to really just push through the middle and force the centre backs not to just crowd that space. And I think in this game, you saw that quite a lot. Those two just getting crowded in that area.
3: Would you have started Moise Kent then?
2: But this is the problem. See, I don't... I don't and I've gone on a whole different separate journey with Moise Ken where there have been times where I've thought he's really coming into something special and I don't know if I do anymore so some of it is personnel it's what you have as options completely um but I think that was a dynamic in this game that mattered especially with Wamba playing really well on that he fight. played
1: well he was probably um, the man in the match
2: yeah so like it's not just like oh um, PSG did badly of course like yes Manchester United did play really well especially wan but also um to answer coming mm. back into the team and frankly looking better than Harry Maguire has recently so um there's there's dynamics like that but I do think I don't know I mean probably things I shouldn't say on air but um I don't know if you felt the same thing Andy like I clearly love my job I'm very lucky to do my job and you can see that as we were just talking about in the fact that when I write my guardian column on a Monday, I drop like a whole second column <laughs> column in the comment section because I have too much and to say. And For free. But the first, you know, the first couple of games this season did feel a bit like, gosh, you know what? I'd like a break. Like there hasn't been a break since last season. We've gone straight from the Champions League into another thing starting. And I think footballers, some of them must be having that too.
3: Yeah. And um, that's why I, I guess it's so jarring to some people when Thomas Tuchel goes, oh, well, we're a weaker team than last season. Mm. And you're going, well, when was last season? <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think there, there, there is. And some I think that. especially
2: if you've been in the final, I think there's just mm. like, there's, a, there's an emotional impact there. Like there was so much writing on that final for PSG, this sort of moment of validation. And frankly, they validated a lot of things that people have accused them of not having just by getting there. But to have gone all the way up to that point and been so close to it and then to come back to a game without fans, without something to pick you up, without somebody to go, yeah, you know what, this this is still Manchester United, guys. Let's go and, and play. I can understand a come down. If we're still talking about a come down at the end of the group stage, that's a different conversation. But in one game, I don't I don't see it as a so as a huge you're saying it's rebuilding
3: a collapsed A recently collapsed
1: Jenga in an empty pub.
2: Exactly. There's the analogy.
1: (laughs) It's not a bad one, although I thought Neymar had a decent game. He had Mm -hmm. an okay game. It wasn't effective in the way that you say, Nikki. It wasn't effective, or the combination him and Mbappe wasn't effective because it didn't result in anything. But I thought he particularly played a decent game.
3: Yeah, I think that's the the interesting thing, Don, the fact that, as Nikki was saying, I, I think Tuchel got it tactically wrong. That they that Neymar is always better in a central position. And in the first half, you had Neymar out on the left and Mbappe in the center. And there seems to be this like a right of passage idea that eventually he has to become a central striker, just like David Beckham <laughs> has to become a central midfielder, you know, before he can be a rise and be knighted, Sir Killian Mbappe. <laughs> Whereas, you've just got to play to your best player's strengths. When they got Neymar in the centre in the second half, they, I agree, they did look better. But by that time, United are set. I think I think it's different. The other thing is, when you talk about that that front three, Nicky, I think there's got to be a question of Leonardo here, hasn't there? Because, I mean, Tuchel's pointed out... It's football, you mean? yes. So the, the, the And it's, it's down to him to get the players that the coach wants and that the team needs. So, um, clearly he's not had a great deal of time to work, the same as the rest of European football, but they've lost a lot of experience in Thiago Silva, in Cavani, in Tom Emunier, to 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 a lesser extent. And, you look at the way the squad is constructed, I realise they've got people out at the moment they really miss Verratti I don't think there's any doubt about that They miss that variety that he's got that that register of passing that he's got in midfield but you look at the, the danger you've always got with a front three of that sort of level just like with the, the MSN at, at Barcelona that you just become not really a team but just something that that feeds the beast you just have to feed that front three and you're not really playing proper football and something that's come up a lot in conversation in France in the days after the, the, the match against United. You look at the midfield that started that game, Danilo, who I think will be a good signing for them, um, Angel Herrera and Idrissa Gay, they're all ball winners. And so what, you've got this huge gulf between your midfield and your forward three who aren't really interested in doing any mm-hmm. defensive work. And maybe Di Maria didn't have enough in the tank. He not played for nearly a month. I think that's worth underlining with with his recent domestic suspension. And, you know, Di Maria covers... He papers over a lot of cracks because Mm -hmm. he can pick up the ball deep and go past a couple of players and and change pace. Does this say something about the way that Leonardo's constructed this squad or hasn't constructed this squad?
2: I mean, it felt like there was a hint of that in Tuchel's comments after the game. Um, I... (laughs) <laughs> it's just very hard to feel sympathy for PSG when it comes to oh we could have signed some more isn't it it's just very hard to be like oh yeah poor PSG didn't get everything they needed um, like
1: Man City yeah. the equivalent aren't they yeah, yeah. essentially
2: it is it's, I agree with you that it's an imbalanced team um, they were missing some important players um, I don't I, I've i again another player who I've sort of really fond thoughts about but I think Florenzi at right back is not ideal either um so i don't know they they the squad isn't isn't perfect isn't balanced but it's not i, I just i feel like going too far down that that line i just come back to but they're in the champions league final they're not they're not like a team that needs an overhaul.
1: Well, so Manchester brought the rain to Paris. And nobody needs to bring the rain to Spain because, in fact, they brought a storm to us this weekend. Let's leave that to one side. But Shakhtar Donetsk came all the way from Ukraine to embarrass them.
3: They did. And you know you know what? I, I, want, I want to talk about Shakhtar Donetsk because it's an incredible story. But because it's El Clasico this weekend, I think we have to start by talking about Real Madrid here. And, you know, how what are we really expecting from El Clasico this weekend because Game of uh, two
1: halves like the chester
3: Yeah maybe I, I, I think you look at um, Real Madrid and this was the night where they um, stripped to their pants stood on top of the main stand and said do you think Barcelona's a disaster <laughs> <laughs> Look over here, and it's been clearer and clearer that Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid have been using Barcelona as this footballing human shield to cover the mess that's been going on in their own place. I mean, Nikki, you were saying to me off air like how we were talking about fans and stuff. How mm. incredibly underwhelming it is to see Real Madrid play at Valdebebas, very nice training ground, but nevertheless a training ground and there's got to be some sort of sense of that i think when when you arrive
2: right there's no fans there anyway but it does like it makes me feel watching it like i'm i'm not even watching a real game
3: would you feel bolder as a visiting player i think so like like as if they're a bit more the the real madrid have been a bit resized Mm. if if, if you if you know what i mean
2: i think so and i'm sure like there's like a hundred logistical reasons why it's just more sensible to do it but yeah it, it it doesn't feel like Real Madrid playing in in the Champions League. It's because it's Although, Real
1: Madrid, isn't it? That they've come from their huge stadium to a training yeah. ground. If it was a lesser team, would you be as concerned? Even if you're an opposition player,
3: yeah. And uh, you know what? I think it comes across in even little things. You know, when when they um, pulled one back when Luka Modric scored that great goal in the in, goal. in the second it's half, brilliant. and that uh, they play the the, the anthem, "Hello Madrid." And uh, it feels normally that, uh, as if it's coming out of the steepest parts. It feels as if the sounds coming out, of the, the sounds coming out of the steepest parts of the burn You know, it's like, a <laughs> uh, and and like it's like the gods are singing it. Yeah. And as an away player, you must be thinking. Whereas mm. I don't know if you're a Shakhtar player, you think Is someone playing that from a transistor on the bench. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not it's not quite the same. Yeah. But I, I think. Whether that's had the effect on Real Madrid, now, I think it has to a certain extent. But th- th- teams generally aren't scared of them at the moment mm. because you look at the way they played the previous Saturday against Cadiz. Cadiz, who were promoted, by the way, to the top flight th- th- this, this season after a, after a gap of, what, 15 years. And um, they went there and they didn't just win at Real Madrid. They dominated for a lot of that game. You would expect... An an away side like that, of of that sort of size, with that sort of budget, with what I know, a tenth of the budget of Real Madrid, if that, to turn up and win there, you would expect um, them to have to be all hands of the pump, have a heroic performance from their goalkeeper. I know about that, you know. Canis could have been two, three up at, at, at the break. And do you know what? Thibaut Courtois... Real Madrid's best player this season and they're kind of in the Manchester United spot of a few seasons ago when you're a club of that size and your goalkeeper is consistently your best player I mean fair play to Courtois because people were talking about him going off the boil a couple of years ago but it's it's not a great sign is it? Mm-hmm.
1: When it comes to this weekend's El Clasico though Nicky, which of those two great Spanish teams do you feel have got the those two great trouserless Spanish teams? Well, I was, I was coming to the shittiest end of the stick, but <laughs> uh, which of them are in the worst situation? Which, when they go into this match, which of them are likely to come out smelling less vulgar than the other lot?
2: Um, I mean, I just wanted to say quickly because we sort of talked about. Um... You know, this home impact, it's worth saying that Real Madrid in the Champions League at home last sort of couple of years, even at a full Bernabeu, yeah. haven't been good. This yeah, is now true. like a couple of season thing. They lost to, to Man City at home, they drew with Bruges, they um, lost to Ajax 4-1, didn't they, in the last 16?
3: Juve, even though um, they just about scraped through.
2: So, so that's, it's not just yeah. that. It is very much, as Andy says, like this thing that's been thinly covered up by the end of last season and, and winning the league and, and Barcelona being more embarrassing. And there's something faintly funny about the idea of the way you just presented it to me of just because of how the press operates in Spain, because you have like the, the um, newspapers in Catalonia and the newspapers in Madrid and they each sort of are constantly one-upping each other and trying to sell this story. Mm. That now it's like a racer uh, who can be more dramatically bad. Um, but it's, I don't know, I, I think um, the thing is you you expect a reaction out of Madrid and to an extent Within the context of this game, there was a reaction. And um, once Vinicius came on, um, the second half was was certainly better. They did nearly get level. Um,
1: he ended up being the villain as well as the hero. In the, yeah, yeah. With upside on the yeah. um,
2: on on what would have been the equaliser. But why wasn't there a reaction after losing to Cardiff at the weekend? Like, yeah. so if there's this great reaction stored up in this team, where was it sooner? And is it going to suddenly come out against Barcelona? The team, when you go through it, yes, there's, there's clearly huge recruitment issues that have gone on. I mean, Lukyovic mm. is I don't know what Lukyovic is at this point. He looks completely lost and 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 um a foreign object who doesn't fit in that team. Yeah. The Eder Militao. I'm certain he used to be a good centre back, but he mm. doesn't look like it. So there's players who have got lost, but even if you take those out and go through the starting eleven, you think it's not bad. Mm. Maybe it's not the great Real Madrid side, but it's still got plenty of good pieces in it.
3: Isn't that the exact feeling you get when you look at Barcelona? Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. I mean, they really are both in a in a state of transition. But look, we, we do have to give credit to Shakhtar as well because for them, they turn up in Madrid. I think it's expected by most people to be soundly beaten with 10 players out with COVID. mm including some very, very good and very experienced players. So you're looking at the likes of Junior Moraes, who's been a great goal scorer in the Ukrainian League and scored goals in the Champions League. Tyson, who's captain, captain. Um, Yevyan Konoplyanka. And they turn up and they're 3-0 up at half time. Now, I think it shows you a couple of things. F- firstly, that this club, not just on a level of coaching, but on a level of philosophy, is a cut above most clubs. Because... With all those players out, Shakhtar played, say if if you blanked out who who all the players are, but they were still wearing the strip, you'd have been able to tell it was Shakhtar because of the way they played. They've got that possession-heavy philosophy that all the the players are really careful on the ball, but they don't hang about. They're quite zippy. um, There's a lot of ball movement. And that is the way that Shakhtar have played for, 10 plus years.
1: Yeah, they played as a solid unit though. Absolutely. That that was the difference between them and Real Madrid. Real Madrid seemed to be all over the place, whereas Shakhtar seemed to be playing by numbers almost.
3: Yeah, I I would would agree with that. And, um, you know, they played some really imaginative football. You know, it it could have been more in the first half than the three. And even when Real Madrid got it back to three-two, maybe I don't know about for you, but for me that was one of the biggest shocks of the game. That once them coming back, no, not but not that they came back, but once Real Madrid got it back to three-two, that they didn't go on to do anything. Mm. Like they almost got their equaliser at the end, but Shakhtar had a fair few opportunities on the break. Even though, like physically, they must have been blowing after everything Mm. they they went through.
1: They are the only team in Ukraine, essentially, aren't they? And they're the only team in Ukraine, or at least in the Ukraine top flight, that doesn't have its own ground at the moment. They're, they're wanderers, you know, like Dion and the Belmonts.
3: Yeah, yeah. They're, um, they're, they're, they've been in an unusual situation. For them to have achieved what they've achieved in terms of championships, in terms of a um, Europa League semi-final last year, for them to manage to do all those things when essentially they are homeless. Now there's homeless and there's homeless. Obviously, uh, Rina Akhmatov who owns the club has got a euro or two in the bank. And thus, when they had to leave, um, Donetsk in the Donbass region, they all moved into a hotel in, um, a, is, a hotel. A consequence
1: I, of the Crimea war, by the way. Yeah, you know, a,
3: a hotel owned by Akhmatov. Um, and um, it's a very nice hotel. I just, basically... sorry,
1: I just said Crimean War, but I meant Crimean Annexation, in case people thought that I was talking about the Florence Nightingale days. Apologies.
3: <laughs> yeah, and um, as as you say, it's an unresolved conflict between between Russia and Ukraine. Um, I mean, they've been put in a really unusual position, of course, because having moved out, I mean. I went over there to do a, a film for The Guardian on Shakhtar Donetsk a few years back now. And um, their CEO, Sergey Palkin, he said, well, we'd be quite happy to move back to Donetsk, you know, this incredible state-of-the-art stadium. No one would come. Everyone's too scared to to come. And obviously it's become quite an unstable part of the world. Um, but for, for them, and like I said, they're, they're not exactly in prison i mean they're, they're, they've, they've got the, the run of this hotel that's owned by the owner which is pretty fantastic and i'm led to believe a lot of the brazilian contingent of which there's quite a lot of Shakhtar traditionally quite enjoy the fact that there are actually places to go out in kiev because um they they, they play in lviv uh, now so they, they, they fly it's like um an, an hour away um but they they live and train in in kiev But it's still a remarkable story. I mean, to to think like, especially for some of those players who've been there for quite a long time, and you look at uh, Marlos, who scored one of the goals from Brazil, but he's been there for so long, he's not just the captain, he's a Ukrainian international now. He's naturalised. And some of these guys had huge life changes. I remember remember Dario Sierna, who was um, there as captain for a very long time and went to Italy, of course, afterwards. Him saying to me that, you know, when they left Donetsk, it was so sudden. As far as he's aware, him and his wife have got still got a house there with all his clothes in the wardrobe and all her clothes in the wardrobe, car parked in the driveway, and it's just left there. Like to walk away from your life like that. And it took them a little while to get back to a point where they could get the better of Dynamo Kiev in the championship again. But now they're incredibly dominant again. And, you know, you can see what strength there is in the recruitment, in the training, in their infrastructure, in their on-pitch ideology, that they can go there and take advantage of that. It's,
2: it's just struck me that perhaps in sort of strangers of ways, that whole experience they've had in the last few years might have prepared them better than anyone else in world for football this. for what's happening right now. Yeah, maybe. Because they've played to a lot of empty stadiums. Yeah. Because they left you know their fan base behind. Yeah. Not that they haven't made some new fans, but... They left everything behind yeah. and and they were homeless and this experience of playing in these sort of odd empty stadiums is not as alien to them as it might be to everyone else.
3: I, I wanted to ask you actually while we're talking about... Yeah, that's um, a
1: really good point actually.
3: It's, it's an excellent point but, but while while we're on um, Shakhtar we couldn't miss Micheo Luchescu in yeah. the Champions League this week. And he's, he's had a weird situation. You talk about dealing with unpromising situations. <laughs> of course an absolute legend of Shakhtar gave them an identity, a philosophy. You were one who gave me the
2: identity of Brazilian, basically. Yes. Like, he was obsessed with Brazilian football. Exactly. was like, I found a club where I will get the financial backing to be able to go over, sort out what needs to be sorted out for visas and everything else, and bring over. Yeah.
3: Ex- exactly. And th- now that he's come back to Ukraine, but as coach of Dynamo Kiev, which, as it's fair to say, has not gone down brilliantly with either. Dynamo Kiev or Shakhtar Donetsk fans but he's old and cantankerous enough that he simply doesn't care I think correct
2: me if I'm wrong on this because I've read a version of this and I feel like you probably have followed the story closer but he he was so affronted by the initial reaction to his appointment that he quit and then came back four days later yeah that's it I think it was was very much you're not going to do me out of my money.
3: I'm I'm, going to be paid very nicely here. Thank you very much. And so anyway, he's he's already achieved something in getting uh, Dinamo Kiev um, back into the Champions League for the first time in a a, a few years. Mm. And then, he ends up in this extraordinary situation where he's facing Pirlo on the touchline in that first Champions League back in Pirlo's first Champions League game when Dinamo played Juventus this week. And... um, They've got quite a particular relationship.
2: Yeah. Well, Ducescu was Pirlo's coach who brought him through from the youth team at Brescia, um, when Pierlo was 15 years old. He brought him in to train with the with the first team at first, and they tried to bring him when he was still 15 to play some games for the senior team, couldn't get permission for it because he was still a minor. Um, but did eventually give him his his debut at 16. Um then um because that particular season ended horribly for Brescia. Lucescu moved on. They were reunited briefly at Inter. I think Pirlo was about 19 then, and it didn't... I think everyone thought that Luchescu was going to be the player, or the, the manager who would sort of start to redevelop Pirlo, and it didn't quite work out like that. But they definitely have a very close personal relationship going back to that time at Brescia, and we've had all the sort of interviews about that in the build-up to this game. Lucescu talking about car trips to... Um, Viareggio which is one the sort of setting for one of the great Italian youth football tournaments and driving there with Pierlo and talking about him in the car talking with him in the car for two hours solid about football and thinking even then god this kid's different he sees the game he thinks about the game differently um so it was a very sort of affectionate um moment for both of them to see each other and and be on the touchline again and I suppose in in narrative terms, you could say the, the the pupil has become the master, although I don't think I'd give um, Pele the same tactical chops quite yet as Luchescu. Just a better team at the moment.
1: Give him time. <laughs> yeah. Give him time. So who's doing best at uh, the moment, the homeless or the Dinamo, lot? Well,
3: Dinamo are top of the Ukrainian okay. league at the moment. Um, Shakhtar have drawn a few games that you wouldn't expect the, the the start of the season so I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to Ukrainian football in about uh, six months unless <laughs> of course Shakhtar do something even more spectacular in the rest of the Champions League
1: or if any of their players playing outside Ukraine do something spectacular yeah. we will always refer back
3: yeah
2: I mean if they can do this with ten players out for COVID imagine what it could be when the whole team's there
1: people are expecting
3: something now oh <laughs>
1: So we can't conclude this OTC without talking about um, the the one man in football that still seems to remember that there ain't no business like show business on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, you know I'm talking about. The one and only Zlatan is doing fantastic stuff in Italy, despite the fact that he's
2: how old, Nicky? Um, Zlatan is ageless have <laughs> right. Zlatan doesn't need your mortal concept. He's 39. Um and yeah, he um which decided... is like 89
1: in football in terms, <laughs> you know, if you take like animal lives.
2: Um he decided the Milan derby this weekend. Um Milan hadn't won the derby for years. They hadn't won their first four games of a Serie A season um for about a quarter of a century. I think maybe even exactly a quarter of a century. Um, they hadn't finished a round of games in first place since 2011 they've done all of those things now because they beat inter um it was uh it was almost I mean well it it was in, in effect decided inside 16 minutes which is as long as it took for Zlatan to score twice um it wasn't a dead game at that point at all. It was actually a really entertaining derby and Inter had a heap of chances to get level after Lukaku got one back for them. But look, Slatan is still deciding important games and helping to be a figurehead and a goal scorer for a team that is somewhere that it hasn't been in a very, very long time. Like I just said, you know, Milan, top of Serie A.
3: And the figurehead bit, I think, is what we were expecting, isn't it? Because... Something I guess we've 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 touched on before, but the reason Milan brought him back is largely for like ideological and dressing room reasons. Because not guess, for his goals. No, I don't. I don't think it is Dotton. I think the, the goals are a surprising and delightful <laughs> byproduct of him being in far better nick than anyone expected, and him also. I think I think the knee injuries had an effect on this because I think when that happened to him, he's like, right, I, I'm not going out like this. You know, and there's, there's been a little extra kick for him to get back to his his best level of, of, of maybe even a few years ago. But the reason that Milan brought him in is clearly to say, look, we've got a set of young players. We need some winning mentality. And Zlatan is someone who, because he plays this character all of the time, and that's right. We never refer to him as Ibrahimovic. It's There's true. always Zlatan, as, as, him,
1: as, as you said, at the top. He's the royal we, obviously. Exactly. But he's like he's like a, a movie star or a superhero. Or Lulu, somebody that only needs one name.
3: All the ones you could have gone for, <laughs> and you went, you went for Lulu. It's a great choice. I tell you, Dave's not happy with this. <laughs> and I think you, you look at that, and it's sometimes overlooked. How good he is with young players. He's really great with young players. He's he's, he's a mentor as well as a leader. He's, he's he's hard on on players sometimes, and God knows it was as I've said before. Lucas Moura was absolutely terrified of him when they were at Paris Saint Germain. We stand there on the training pitch, swearing at him in English. He's still terrified of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he is. I don't think he sleeps with one eye open at it's... Tottenham. But I think it's it's overlooked what an influence he can have on those players. And, and clearly, before we even get to the goals or any of that bit, you look at, Nicky, the way it's changed for Rafael Leal, who looked mm-hmm. like in danger of being a 40 million euro bust when Zlatan arrived. All of a sudden, he's got his chaperone. It's made a huge difference for him.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's layers to this. I I disagree that he wasn't bought for the goals because I think that Milan were in a particular situation with the Piontek um Deal having become this great disaster and millstone around their neck. Yes. Um, and they did need a centre forward. They needed someone who could just be a centre forward in the classic sense because they didn't really have it. And I think that but they could did they have just for a few. Could
3: they have justifiably expected? Well, clearly they couldn't have expected what he's actually no. produced, but they weren't expecting anywhere near that, surely.
2: No, I don't think they were expecting this level of production. I certainly wasn't. Hmm. I I was not particularly on board with this signing when it happened, and I have been so wrong. Um, but there's layers as well to um just the part of helping younger players. You can be as sort of straightforward with it as listening to what Rafael Leao, Ante Rebic, and others have said in interviews. Leao, in particular, has said, Look, um, ever since he got here, Ibrahimovic has been in my ear telling me, like, you know, do this differently, be there, do that. And it's helped. Like, it's, it's, it's not been. <laughs> That's Latin like, all um, over. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's something that Leao has appreciated, that he feels like it has made him. Better, like literally, more coaching from a teammate and someone who has done everything in football. Um, but there's also the element, and apologies if anyone has heard me say this already, because I think I've may have uh, expressed this same thought in a couple of places this week. But I think it's really important, um, which is after the game, we're all talking about that, and not just because he scores two goals, but because he put immediately on social media this post of a lion covered in blood I mean it's a horrible picture by the way with just firemen on it which means hunger and it gets literally millions and millions of, of social media interactions it's it's a global story and it's the sort of biggest part of the coverage that even comes out in Italy everyone's talking about Zlatan and how ridiculous he is and you can frame that as Zlatan the cartoon character who um is just all arrogant and doing his own thing I just, I, I feel really strongly that when you're talking about such a young team and to stress that, um, Andy, um, the average age of this Milan team a couple of games ago when Satan wasn't playing was 22 and a half or so. Wow. It was the youngest Milan team in a very, very long time. So it is a really young core of players. And I think that what he does when he makes it all about him is he takes the pressure off everybody else. The fact is, in Serie A, I said it, they won four games out of four so far. Zlatan's only played two of them. Milan are winning with him or without him, but we're not talking about these other players and sort of making them feel like, oh, why isn't Liao doing more? Why isn't Rebic doing more? Why isn't um, Brahimi doing more? Because it's all about Ibrahimović. And perhaps that's great. Like, perhaps that's exactly what you would say if a manager was doing it is what they should be doing. Like, get the attention off these young players that just develop.
1: He's playing a role then. I mean, I will the so. real Zlatan ever stand up? Are you suggesting
3: he? he's going full Cantona when he retires? Yeah. Eventually, when he retires. He might do an advert or two. Yes, I
1: am suggesting that.
3: He's done one or two already. <laughs>
2: do you know, like, I was, um, this is an old memory, but like, I remember going to um, to Milanella, which is the Milan training ground when Ibrahimovic was there before. Um, I was actually there to interview Sadov, but I remember um, because everything was running behind time. So said, look, come and do the interview over lunch in, in the, in the lunchroom. And just to speak to, again, what Andy said, like, you might think of him as this aloof, um, arrogant character. And he is, I mean, he is arrogant. That's, you know, I'm certain of that, but he interacted with, when he came into the room, I saw him interact with almost everyone in that room. He talks to people, like he makes jokes with people. Like, I think he has really sincere personal relationships with people that people on the outside wouldn't realise. Sometimes those aren't great um, relationships. I think people who don't like him can really rub against him the wrong way. And I think that can become a bad dynamic. But perhaps, again, in an atmosphere like Milan, where there's so many young players, there isn't a strong personality to oppose him. There isn't someone there who's looking at him and going, you're a threat to me. Everyone's going, oh, great, you're here and you can show us something. And so the dynamic for now, at least, feels just right.
3: And of course, we've got him in the British Isles today, he's coming to to play Celtic. It looks as if he's not just him, obviously he's got a supporting <laughs> cast, uh, but um, it looks like he's on the brink of signing a new contract as, as as well, which is quite exciting. Which I guess Dotton, is quite bad news for Hammerby because well, it, even as as a as a Malmo boy, <laughs> it was always assumed that maybe <laughs> he, he would he would. Go back there for a bit. Now he does wear this slight air of, yeah, I know I'm old, but the Swedish league's a bit too shit for me. <laughs> which, which, he really, he really does wear that air. Well. But now, as a, bear with me. Now with as as a part shareholder of Hammarby, and the fact that he's at 39, got so much in the tank. You having a year as latan back at back at hammerby
1: when you mentioned Celtic, I was going to say he, he better get used to that green and white because he's now <laughs> he's now he now owns hammerby um and the Serda Stadium the South Stadium in uh Stockholm is where they play and he'll know that he'll be familiar with it uh, quite well because he's put a lot of goals in the back of the net there and what I think about this is for the hammerby fans who have been the unsung um i suppose Uh, real working class club to a certain extent, but also their fan base has been the one that has, um, like, to a certain extent, Liverpool's fans at the cop have been the ones that have established a certain aspect of fan uh, support in football. Hammerby have done exactly that for years and never ever won anything, or at least, you know, not in living memory in any case, or virtually not in living memory. I was away when they actually won something and I missed out on their big day, but that's another thing. But the important thing about um Hammer B is listen to their song. They've got the equivalent of Bubbles or You'll Never Walk Alone. Right. Sung by an old Swedish guy called Kenta, who is a very, very cool guy. It's a folk song. But what they sing is basically we've waited so long for this day. This is what they've waited for, for somebody like Zlatan. In just the same way that you were talking, Nikki, about Milan buying him, not entirely for the reasons that Andy was stating, which was that Mm. they're buying him for his stature, but also for the goals. Well, in a way, in a way, what he can bring to uh, Hammerby isn't just his presence, but it's also bring funding to the club, bring other footballers into the Mm -hmm. club. Suddenly, Hammerby in Sweden, I've been looking at a few of the Swedish papers, suddenly Hammerby are everybody's Next favourite team. Second team. Because of Zlatan. That's, that's what's Believe happening. It. Probably
2: yeah. a bunch of people's second favourite team and some people's least favourite team. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Hammubi have got reputation, yeah. yeah. A lot of people yeah wouldn't like Hammubi, even if uh, Bobby Moore walked in there and handed yeah. them the <laughs> World Cup, the Jules Remake Cup. They wouldn't love no nevertheless. But yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Zlatan is back home. Football's back home in Sweden. And not just... in Malmo, those pesky Southerners. <sighs>
2: I'm just trying to think of anyone else though who's done specifically the journey that we're talking about. It's not just his age; it's going to major league soccer when everyone who watches on the outside goes, "Okay," and off you go to retirement. Like yes. everyone does that. Mm. Who's done that journey and come back and been successful?
3: We'll be talking about Carlos Vela like this <laughs> in, in in six years' time, I think. Maybe.
1: But meanwhile, I think Nicky has a point. You can't think of anybody because it is the knackers yard, isn't it? The yeah. major league soccer. But it's not only that uh, as well. Um, at 39 years old, he is like a dad to people that he's playing with, you know, yeah. and I'm not sure that's a good thing. You know, you, you're you playing football with your dad, <laughs> you know, so you want to look after him. If your dad's good.
2: <laughs> no,
1: no one's dad's that good, Don. <laughs> So, Andy, do you want to talk to us about your game of the week? You know what the
3: the shock is it's not going to be El Clasico, uh, much as that's on Saturday at three pm. And of said course, us, I will today. be watching. Not, it can't be. El No, <laughs> it's not going to be a classic. <laughs> but I am going to go actually for a game between two teams who are, are not at their best at the moment either. I'm going to go for Sunday night eight pm, Lyon versus Monaco, because I think and Nicky's spoken quite eloquently about the effects of there being no real gap in the seasons and the pandemic and uh, I think the fact that uh, Lyon and Monaco who have both got issues to sort out that both got a lot of awfully good players this is the bit where they can maybe start to cash in because neither of them are in Europe so they've had a little bit of rest and a little bit of time on the training ground to actually work through things this week not an international break where half of your players are off and so Half your first team and the reserves work through what you want to do on Saturday. All the players are there actually training and probably with a little bit of, oh God, I wish I was playing the Champions League <laughs> sort of fire to them as well. Memphis, uh, who's moved to Barcelona, didn't come off, um, responded in a really positive way saying, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm happy to be at the club. I'm happy to be the captain. And then actually went out and proved it by making all three goals at Strasbourg last weekend. Interesting fact about Memphis Depay. Since he arrived in... People people have a view of him as a player and a person. And since he arrived in Ligue 1 in January 2017, more assists than anyone else. It's not just the goals. They're more assists than Di Maria, than Neymar, than Tovar, than any of those guys. And he missed most of last season. Decent.
1: Not bad. Not bad. Monaco uh, versus Leon. I suppose it's going to be a Leon win, isn't it, Nikki? As, as much as Andy's trying to be balanced, he's got skin in this game, by the way. He'd rather go and live in Monaco, even though he had to live in Leon. But the it's,
2: it's... Le- thing in Leon doesn't
3: sound too bad. I don't know. No, but if, if you do want to lend me anything for the uh, Cote d'Azur Housing Fund, I'm, I'm interested. <laughs>
1: Um, and do you have a, a game
3: of the week yeah, for us well, as well, Nikki?
2: Is it doesn't have to be the weekend. It can be Monday night. It can be, it can be Monday night. Monday night, Milan against Roma. Go get your Zlatan mm. fix. Um I like Roma the sound are playing of that. Some really fun football as well. Actually, I have um, I have a really hipster alternative if you want over the weekend. But Milan Roma on 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 Monday night will be a great game if Roma approach it with the same way that they have every other game so far under Fonseca this season, which is pretty much. Well, we'll just go for it and see what happens. Mm. Yeah. Um and uh really great goal by the way by Carlos Perez this weekend. One of my favorites really nice. so far this season. Um this one other sort of What's your hipster not, alternative? Not really the game of the week, but I bet it'll be heaps of fun, which is um Zagi's Benevento, whose games so far this mm. season, four games have averaged not just Benevento scoring them, but the games they've been involved in, four games have had twenty goals. And they're wow. playing at home to a Napoli team who've scored 10 goals the last two times they've actually taken the pitch. So mm. I think we'll have some fun with Benevento against Napoli. And Napoli, by the way, are rapidly accelerating as a dark horse to win Serie A, the way they're playing at the moment. Am I mm. right in
3: thinking the last time that Benevento were up, when they eventually won a point, it was with their, goal scorer, their goalkeeper scoring against Gattuso's Milan.
2: I believe that's correct, yeah. <laughs> wow.
3: Good memory. There's your link.
2: This free kick
1: has to be good
0: It is good Oh it's incredible Absolutely remarkable The goalkeeper has scored This was a Stakhanov production And part of the ACAST Creative Network